This is KMTT and the weekly Pashat HaShavua Shira. This year, Tavshin Ayin, it will be given by Harav Hanoch Baxman. This week, Pashat Korach, I would like to discuss the story of Korach and his rebellion found at the beginning of the Parsha. Bamidbar, Perak Ted Zayin, Pasuk Aleph, opens as follows. Vekach Korach ben Yitzar, ben Kat ben Levi, v'datan v'aviram b'nei Eliav v'on ben Pelot b'nei Ruvain. All these people took, they gathered themselves together. Pasuk Bet, v'akumul v'nei Moshe v'anashim b'nei Yisrael chamishim v'atayim n'si'eida. And they came together, they stood up in front of Moshe, they and 250 princes of the community, Kriye Mo'ed and Sheshem, those summoned to assembly. Pasuk Gimel, Ve'ikalu al Mosheva al Aron, and they gathered against Mosheva Aron, Ve'amru alayhem, and they said to them, Rav lachem, it is too much for you, it is more than sufficient what you have taken for yourselves. Ki kulam kedoshin u'betocham Hashem, all of the community is holy and God is amidst them. Umadu'a titnasu al-kahal Hashem, and why have you made yourself into princes? Why have you elevated yourselves above the community of God? Without a shadow of a doubt, the essence of uh, Korach's rebellion, perhaps, can be found <laughs> distilled in the beginning and end of the statement made by Korach and his group to Moshe Aaron. At the beginning, they say, Rav Lachem, it is too much for you. You have taken too much. And at the end, they say, Umadu'a titnasu al Why have you made yourselves into princes? Why have you elevated uh, yourselves above the rest of the people. The charge of Korach Vadato is the charge against elitism. Uh, the charge of Korach Vadato is the charge against uh, rulership. Uh, the charge of Korach Vadato is the charge against the political authority, uh, the rulership of Moshe Aaron. Um, and now, while of course there is this political element to the rebellion of Korach Vadato, there is also, as we well know from the text and is pointed out by the commentaries, a spiritual or, or perhaps cultic component uh, to the rebellion as well. Uh, just for example, uh, to cite part of the text later on, um, when Moshe uh, attempts some sort of reproach or persuasion with Korach Adato, Moshe turns to the Levites, uh, the group of Levi'im that are, have gathered with Korach, um, and for example, in Perak Ted Zayin, Paskiyud, uh, attempts to dissuade them from what they're about to do or what they are doing, says to them something along the following lines, God has already brought close you and all your brothers, the Levites, with you. And now you also desire to be priests. Uh, and therefore you, Korach, and those others with you that are now, in fact, Noadim Hashem rebelling or coming against God. Uh, what do you want from Aaron? And the reference here to Kuna, the reference to Aaron, indicates that there is an aspect that's connected to the Mishkan, uh, to the sanctuary here. There's a kind of religious, a spiritual, um, or even a, a cultic component to the rebellion as well. And the overall rebellion is against the political and spiritual and religious and temple-oriented authority of Mosheva Aaron, and perhaps with a kind of underlay of a hint of nepotism or the accusation of nepotism, as pointed out by many of the commentaries. Now, certainly it would be interesting to spend time exploring what the rebellion is really all about, the, the inner dynamic of the rebellion of Korach Vadato. What are they really claiming? What are they really saying? Etc., etc. And these kinds of issues are famous and well-known. But, although I would like to talk about this, I'd like to do it in a slightly indirect fashion by raising another question 
regarding the parsha of Korach and his rebellion, one which I think emerges from a striking literary parallel between the story of Korach and his rebellion and a previous story in the Chumash, actually found back in Sefer Vayikra. Uh, to map this out, let us turn to Moshe's immediate reaction to the rebellion of Korach. Perak Tetzayin, Pasuk Dalid, says as follows, Vayishma Moshe, Moshe heard the words of Korach and his group, Vayipol al-Panav, um, and he fell upon uh, his face. Now, while it could be that falling upon the face here is a sign of humility, of uh, acquiescence on some level, or a quasi-dialogue uh, um, with the complaints of Korach, most probably the falling on the face is a kind of meditation or prayer or tefillah to God, a kind of communion with God. And immediately afterwards, Moshe uh, rises up and speaks to Korach v'adato, and Tetzayin Hei says as follows, Ve'idaber al Korach ve'el kol adato, and he spoke to Korach and his community, Le'mar Boker, on the morning, or in the morning, Ve'yoda Hashem et God will make known the one who is his, Ve'etakadosh, and the Holy One, Ve'ikrivelav, and he will bring close to him, Ve'etashayiv Charbo, the one who he chooses, Yakrivelav. So, first, Moshe pronounces to Korach that God will choose the Holy One, the one who is close to him. Um, and Moshe says this in a few different ways, a few times over and over. And then, after that, what we might call two, beginning in Pasuk Vav, Moshe proposes the test, or the diagnosis, or the means by which God will make it clear who he has chosen. And Pasuk Vav says as follows, Zot asu, this you should do, korach Take fire pans, you Korach, and all your group, place in them fire, and place upon it incense, in front of Hashem, machar on the marovayah, and of course, now that the test has been outlined, the test of the Ketoret, Moshe repeats, the one who God chooses will be the Kadosh. And then ending his speech, Moshe says, Rav Lachem B'nai Levi, you have gone too far, it is too much for you, B'nai Levi. And of course, there's a kind of echo here in Moshe's closing words of Rav Lachem, which closed the dialogue between Korach and Moshe, an echo of the opening words of Korach that opened the dialogue, where, of course, back in Pasuk Gimel, Korach had opened with the Rav Lachem. So the idea is here that there's going to be this test of the Ketorot, and through the means of the test of the Ketorot, on the morning, on the morrow, God is going to choose who is the Holy One and be Machria, to decide the difference of opinion between Korach HaDaton on his one hand, and Moshe and Aaron on the other hand. But, although it does appear this way in the text, I think it is important to raise the question as to how much of a test this really is, which this brings us to the point I hinted at earlier, the striking literary parallel between this story, the test of the Ketoret, um, found here in Bamidbar Tet Zion, and another well-known story, I am thinking of Vayikra Perak Yud, the story, of course, of the death of Nadav Avihu. Um, let us go back to Vayikra Perak Yud, Pasuk Aleph, which says as follows. Vayikhu uh, b'nei Aaron Nadav Avihu and the sons of Aaron Nadav Avihu ish machtachto. They took their firepans. Vayitnu b'hen ish and they placed in them fire. This is already eerie. Uh, if we think about the four markers of the test of the Torah, which were one the machta and two the ish, 
and three, the Alein Ketoret, and four, uh, the Lifnei Hashem. Well, that's exactly what Be'ikra Perakir Pasuk Aleph says, and I'll read it again. Ishmach Tachtov, Yitnu Bahen Eish, which is two. Vayasimo Aleha Ketoret, they placed upon it Ketoret, which is three. Vayakrivu Lifnei Hashem, and they came close in front of God, etc. We know how that works. So there's this very interesting connection between um, the story of the death of Nadav Avihu, um, through the bringing of Ketoret in the firepan and the Aish and the coming close Lifnei Hashem and the test that Moshe proposes to uh, Korach Adato. Um, but if we think about it, there's actually even more. And before we go to unpack the meaning of this, there's even a little bit more. Let us go on in the story of Korach, uh, on in the story of the death of Nadavihu. Immediately after the death in Parak Yud, Pasuk Gimel, uh, Moshe speaks to Aaron. And Moshe says as follows, Vayamar Moshe el Aaron, Hu hasher diber Hashem. Um, this is what God spoke, Lemar bikrovai ekadesh. Um, now, what Bikrovai Ekadesh means is on some level a, a matter for debate. Rashi cites one opinion that when Moshe said to Aaron Bikrovai Ekadesh, what he meant was that with those who are close to me, those who are good, those who are holy, I will be sanctified, as opposed to, to the exclusion of Nadav Abihu, which who are not Krovimli, who are not good, who are not holy, um, and this statement is meant to the exclusion uh, of um, Nadab Avihu. On the other hand, uh, Rashi also hints at a different possible interpretation, I think is actually closer to the plain sense of the text. But Krovaya Kadesh literally means, with my karbanot, I will be sanctified. Through that which is brought close to me, I will be sanctified. And on some level, it is a reference to what happened immediately preceding the death of Nadav Avihu. If we go back to Perktet Pasuk Dalit of Sefer Vayikra, um, that day of the end of the Shmonat Yemeha Miloim, the day of the inauguration of the Mikdash, uh, of the Mishkan, we find there, Vatetze Esh Milifnei Hashem, a fire went out from in front of God, Vatochal al hamezbeach et ha'olav et ha'chalavim. And a fire went out from in front of God, Milifnei Hashem, in front of God, and it consumed the carbonate that had been placed upon the altar, Vayar Kolam, and all the people saw this, etc. Now, strikingly, um, that is, of course, exactly what happens to Nadav Avihu. In Paragyud, Pasuk Bet, we read, Vatetze, Pasuk Bet, we read, Vatetze Eish Milifnei Hashem Batochalotam. Exactly as the carbonate are Nechal, are consumed, Vatochal, Vatochal, uh, by an ash from in front of God, so too Nadav Avihu are consumed by an ash from in front of God. Now, in light of this parallel between what happened to the Karbanot and what happened to Nadav Avihu, both consumed by a fire that came out from the Fnei Hashem, it is highly likely that one should read per Yud Pasuk Gimel, um, that God tells Aaron that on some level, um, it's inevitable that that which is born as a korban is consumed by a fire from God. Um, that on some plane, somehow or another, another of you have accidentally or quasi-accidentally or quasi-purposefully in their bringing of the Ketorot in front of God, they have turned themselves into karbanot. They have sacrificed themselves to God in some way, again, whether deliberately or accidentally. We don't need to go into this in too much detail. But the idea is, is that in addition to the machta and the esh, and the Ketoret, and the Lifnei Hashem, the language of Kirva, of coming close, and Kadosh, uh, is loaded language. 
um, in the story of uh, Nadava Avihu, and it's kind of language that captures the end result of Nadav Avihu. Now, if we go back to the story of Bamidbar, Perak Tet Zion, we realize that part one, the apparently innocuous claim, by relatively innocuous claim, that Moshe claims, oh, on the morrow, God will decide uh, who is the chosen one. Go back to the text. Even before the test, Moshe says in Perak Tet Zion, Pasuk Hei, Vayidabra El Korach, El Kola, the Tolimar, Boka Biyoda Hashem, Et Asher Lo, Ve Et HaKadosh, on the surface, Moshe is talking about that, that God will choose whoever is holy and who is close to him, and God will choose the coin Gadol. But on the level of subtext, noting the echo to the story of the death of Nadav Abihu, when Moshe uses the term Karov, Kadosh, and talks about fire pans and Aish, and everybody knows what happened to Nadav Abihu, and everybody remembers. On some level, Moshe is sending the very, very strong message to Korach Va'adato that if you persist in this path, this is exactly what is going to happen to you. It is a well-known fact that anybody who brings a korban, anybody who brings ketoret, anybody who brings an esh, um, that isn't Aharon HaKohen, that isn't... Um, the right person is going to be consumed by fire, is effectively going to become a korban. And the challenge that Moshe poses is not just a test, but Moshe sends a very strong message to Korach Ba'adato to desist. And by no accident, and here this would kind of give us a seventh parallel between the two stories to round things out, we all know how Korach, uh, how um, uh, Nadav Abiyu died. A fire went out in front of God and consumed them and died in front of Hashem. Well, how does the story of Korach Vadato end? What happens to the 250 Torah, the bringers of incense? You have to go all the way to the end of Perak Tetzayin. But Perak Tetzayin, Pasak Lamed Hay says, Surprise! A fire came out from in front of God, Vatochal, and consumed at Chamishim Matayim Ish Of course, there is no other way they could have died because they die as Nadav Avihu did. Because Moshe told them, "You're going to die like Nadav Avihu if they persist, if you persist on this path." And they did persist on this path, and they did die exactly like Nadav Avihu. Now, the parallel is the seven parallels or the seven points that I made here, just to very briefly review. One, um, the Machta. Two, the Eish. Three, the Ketoret. Four, becoming Lufanei Hashem. Five, the Repetus to Kirva and Kadosh and the hint of becoming a Korban on some level. And that was six. And seven, the eventual death by fire from God. And the point is, is that without a shadow of a doubt, I believe, uh, Moshe is sending a kind of threat uh, and not even that veiled the threat uh, to Korach Vadato. Um, persist on this path, you will meet the fate of Nadav Aviyu. And the question becomes, how could they do it? How could they hear Moshe's words and continue on? Didn't they know what happened to Nadav Abihu? What can we possibly say about the psychological, existential, or religious state of B'nai Yisrael at this point that Korach Va'adato, that these rebels continued on in this path despite the precedent of Nadav Abihu and despite um, the near-explicit warning by Moshe? And this is, to some extent, the question I would like to talk about. Um, to try to speculate about the inner dynamics of uh, the story of the rebellion of Korach. Now, there are two themes I would like to elucidate. In some sense, they are opposites. Um, 
But in another sense, they kind, I think they stand in a kind of interesting dialectical relation one with the other, and in some interesting way uh, come together. I think the first theme is already kind of implicit uh, in the Parsha of the Rebellion of Korah Va'adato, but in a slightly different place um, than we have looked at so far. So far we've talked about Korach himself, we talked a little bit about B'nai Levi, we talked a little bit about the 250 Maktirik Torah, but we haven't really talked too much about Datan Va'aviram. So let us turn for the moment to Perk Tetzayin, Pasuk Yudvet, where Moshe, after dealing with or speaking with Korach, Levim, others, turns his attention to Datan Va'aviram, and Perk Tetzayin, Pasuk Yudbet, says as follows. Vayishlach Moshe Likro Datan Ula'aviram B'nei Eliav And Moshe summoned, he sent a call, Datan Vavram, they should come to speak with him. They said, no, we won't come. Um, now, uh, the language term here, Na'aleh, on the simple level, just means Na'aleh, we, we won't come, we won't come up to you. Um, uh, you are not above us, you are not our leader, etc. We will not r- rise up, so to speak, to your place. Um, but as we read on in the text, in the Chumash here, the language becomes very interesting. Tetzayin Yudgimel says as follows, Hama'at, uh, isn't it enough? The ma'at, ma'at, rav, rav, which is peppered throughout the parsha, provides a kind of very interesting, too much, too little kind of structure. Isn't it enough? Ki he'elitanu me'eret zavat chalav u'dvash, that you took us out of an eret zavat chalav u'dvash, l'hamitenu b'amidbar, to kill us in the desert. Ki tishtarer lenu gam hishtarer, tishtarer lenu gam hishtarer, will you also rule over us? So, um, effectively, Datan Vram say, we refuse to come, and they repeat the the standard complaint of, oh, who are you to rule over us, right? But, if we think about it, there's something more here that's implicit in the language of He'elitanu. And what they said was, He'elitanu me'eretz zavat chalav udvash lamitenu bamibar. Now, He'elitanu me'eretz has a facet, is an echo, a very important psukim in the Torah. And I have here um, in mind, Shmot, Perak uh, Gimel Pasuk Zayin, the conversation between Moshe and God back at the uh, burning bush, um, things which are well known and were well known to Bnei Israel, I would assume. Um, what God first said to Moshe at the burning bush in Perak Gimel Pasuk Chet of uh, Sefer Shemot is as follows: Miyad Mitzrayim, I will descend to save them from the hand of Egypt. And to take them up from that land, to take them up from the land of Egypt, El Eretz Tova Uruchava, El Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash, to the land flowing with milk and honey, El Makoma Knani, Vachiti, El Moriva Prizi, Vachivi, Vayevusi. So God describes the historical process here to Moshe. The people are in the low place, Mitzrayim, which is not a good place. And they're going to be taken out of land A, Mitzrayim, to land B. And what is land B? Land B is the good place, the Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. And that's, of course, um, the land of the Kenani, Chiti, Amor, Prizi, Vachiri, And that is the divine promise made to Moshe to leave Egypt to go up to Canaan, the land of Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. Now, if we look here at the words of Datan Vavram in Parak Tetzayin, Pasukigimel, Sefer Bavir, they are quite striking. Hamaat ki elitan me Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. Isn't it enough for you that you took us 
out of a land of Zavat Chalabadvash. And the land of Mitzrayim, the A land, is, was really the Eretz Zavat Chalabadvash. Lahamitenu Bamidbar. To kill us in the desert. It's insult to injury. And you have to rule over us as well. And Pasigidalat. Af loel Eretz Zavat Chalabadvash haviyotanu. You have not brought us to a land of milk and tani. Batitlanu nachlat sadev acharem. Um, to give us a inheritance of field v'karem and, and vineyards. Are you going to poke out the eyes of people? Don't you see? The people can see where they are. They're dying in the desert. Lo na'aleh, we will not go up. Now, the lo na'aleh, which closes out the speech of Datan Viram, which echoes the first lo na'aleh, where they say, lo na'aleh, we will not come, I think it takes on an additional level of meaning in the Hama'at ki elitano. When the Datanavram say lo na'aleh, they do not just mean that we will not acknowledge the authority of Moshe Baron, but they say the entire project has been defective from the very beginning. We never should have left Egypt. It was Egypt um, that was the uh, land of Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. Um, and you have brought us from a good place to a bad place. And we're dying. And in this statement, Nadav Datan Ba'aviram rebelled, not just against Moshe's authority, but the entire project that Moshe has led up until this point, um, the uh, leaving of Egypt and the Aliyah Eretz Yisrael. And that's what the rebellion of Datan Ba'aviram is about. Now, of course, we have to think about the context here and other hidden references in um, the statement of Datan uh, Ba'aviram here. They refer to Lahamitenu Bamidbar, and they also refer to you haven't given us Nachlat Sadavacharem, um, you haven't given us an inheritance of field or vineyard. We poke at the eyes of people, we will not go up. Now, I think um, this takes us back on some level to the story of the Miraglim uh, and the death uh, in the Midbar. Um, because, of course, um, the reference to death in the Midbar, Lahamitinu Bamidbar, is a reference to just a, a few prakim ago. Um, in Parakia Dalid, um, Pasuk Lamid, uh, Aleph and Lamid Bet, God decrees, V'tabchem ha'shamartem levaziyeh, your children, that you said would be, uh, would be for spoils, V'heveitei otam, they will come into land, V'yedu with the Aretz, U'pigrechem atem yeplu ba'midbar hazeh, but you are all going to die in this midbar. Um, it's as a response to Chetam Araglam that the decree of death in the desert is decreed. And what the Tanvad Ram do here is they place the blame on Moshe Aaron. It's not the fault of the Miraglim, but it's rather the fault of the entire project in the very start to leave Egypt, the good place, to come to the desert to die. And in doing so, they, of course, place an implicit threat on the further continuation of the project because they question the entire project. So the rebellion of Datan Aviram is... Um, not just political about authority, it's about overall direction, and it places implicitly a threat on the future, uh, and what would be after the Dor Bar. Now, um, in the end of the day, we may imagine that if Korach, Vadato, and Datavram had been successful, the people would not have continued on in the desert for 40 years, and they would have, never would have continued in Eretz Israel, and the entire national project might have fallen apart. I think on some level... Um, the references here to the death in the desert, the post-Muraglim context. Um, we are dealing with a generation that faces the possible fact of 
a wasting death for 40 years in the desert. And there's a despair here uh, that animates B'nai Israel. And possibly the answer on some level is political despair. If we ask the question of what is it that causes Korach um, Vadatot to continue on despite knowing um, what happened to uh, Nadav Avihu, the answer on some level is despair. Um, the political despair is what causes them to act almost near irrationally, to continue on no matter what, because anything is better than uh, death in the desert. And on some plane, uh, we might say, that if we really take the reference to the death of Nadav Avihu in a, in a serious fashion, um, what Moshe has reminded uh, the 250 Maktirik Torah is that Nadav Avihu died through the fire of God. Um, they accidentally or perhaps deliberately turned themselves into carbonates, into offerings. Well, one might pose the following question. What's better, to wander in the desert without hope of redemption, uh, to die a slow, wasting death in the desert, or is it better to almost martyr oneself to God, to go out in a, a spiritual blast of glory as a carbon, as an offering to God himself? And on some plane, we might imagine the... Uh, existential religious mindset of B'nai Israel, out of despair, the sense of anything but, almost better to die like Nadav Avihu, offering ourselves to God in some attempt to somehow change and make something different than to die that slow-wasting death. And while the Tan mean it as rebellion, as a questioning of the whole project, as placing a threat on the entire future of Am Yisrael, the 250 Maktirik Toret and Adat Korach, they're animated by the same despair, um, but not in the sense of rebellion. Despair that can drive people to extremes, the sense of any kind of connection to the holy, any kind of connection to the spiritual, anything uh, is better than the absolute end of the slow wasting death in the Midbar. And this might be perhaps part of the dynamic that stands behind the story of the rebellion of Korach Vadato here at this juncture in uh, Sefer Bamidbar. Now, I would like to um, try to develop another theme, which I think is kind of the flip side of this, but a, a closely related idea. And now to go back to the middle part of uh, the statement of Korach, that which we haven't yet uh, discussed in his original rebellion. Let's go back to Perak Tetzayin, um, Pasuk um, Gimel for the moment. Um, and they gathered against Moshe Aaron, they said to them, Rav Lachem, uh, too much for you. All of the community is holy. Um, now, there's this claim by Korach, this apparently democratic claim of, What does this mean, that and where, where does this arise from? Um, now, there's a famous Rashi that links between the rebellion of Korach, uh, found at the beginning of Parshat Korach, and the Parsha of Tzitzit, uh, found at the very, very end of Parshat Shalach. Um, now, I think that's basically correct, but I'd like to kind of unpack it in a slightly different way than it's famously talked about in that well-known Rashi. Um, let's first begin by noting that the Parshat Tzitzit seems to have a kind of interesting relevance to um, Parshat Shlach itself. Uh, we're told in Parak Tetvav, um, Pasuk Lametet, Vayelechem Tzitzit, 
um, and will be for you as tzitzit. Ritem oto, and you will see them. Uzchatem et komotzot Hashem, etc. Velot taturu achre lo hamgachre enichem. The two words that Torah uses here in Perak Tadvav Pasuk Lametet are riya, seeing, and velot taturu, um, not to stray uh, after your heart, uh, after your eyes, etc. Now, of course, this on some level sends us back to the very beginning of Parshat Shlach to the instructions or the beginnings of the story of the Meraglim. Well, what are the Meraglim sent for? Perak Yud Gimel Pasuk Betes Shlach Lecha Anashim V'yaturu Et Eretz Kan Scout or spy or stray or whatever it means. Same word as Lo Taturu later on. And later on in Perak Gimel Pasuk Yud Chet in the instructions that Moshe gives to the Meraglim Uritem Et Haaretz Ma'isi So the Meraglim are Latur Yaturu and then they are Ritem Ri'ing and then Tzitzit at the end of the Parsha is exactly the verse. It's Ritem Taturu. So you have here a caste structure of A, B, B, A, Latur, Ria, Ria, Latur, which on some level frames the Parsha, and you also have a kind of negation that the Meraglim go Latur and to see, and then eventually in Titit you see and Lotaturu as a negation. And obviously on some plane, um, what we're meant to see here is that Titit is a kind of Tikkun, uh, a fixing, a balancing out, a guard against something that happened in uh, the story of the Muraglim, and this can certainly be worked out uh, in Parshat Shlach in an interesting way. But what does this all mean, and 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 how does this relate to the inner meaning of Tzitzit? Well, without going into too much detail, because time is short, the inner meaning of Tzitzit is actually relatively simple to understand in Pshutat uh, Shomikra. Um, if one adds in a few psukim from other places. We are told, of course, um, at, at a key point, that what is placed on the knaf of the beged, which means, again, in pshat, it probably means the lower edge, or the, the hem, in some sense, of the garment, not necessarily corner as we identify it. Um, uh, there is a piece of tchelet string that is placed on the garment of every single um, member of Kalal Yisrael. Um, so, the garment of members of Klai Yisrael uh, have tchelet in them. Well, of course, the hem of the garment, or the edge of the garment in the ancient world, and uh, we have this also proven in Sefer Melachim, is on some level a, a symbol of identity. The clothes make the man. And this, of course, takes us back to the Big Day Kuhuna uh, outlined in Parak Kavtet of Sefer Shemot. And the, the Big Day Kuhuna are, are, are stuck full of tchelet. Their tchelet is interwoven into almost all of them. Um, because tchelet is royalty, tchelet is holiness, and it's this color that highlights the status uh, of the clothes of the Kohen Gadol and his ishiut and his personhood. And so too, every member of Kal Yisrael on his garment wears a single string of tchelet as a highlight of his royal status, of his personal status, etc. Um, and uh, in other words, what is tzitzit all about? If we go back to Shmot, Perakutet, Pasuk um, Vav, right before Mamar HaSinai, Hashem says, what is the point of the Brit? Well, in Shemot Perikitet, we, we read, Batem Mamlachet Kohanim Kadosh. You will be for me a nation of priests uh, and a holy nation. The tzitzit of each member of Klai Yisrael is a living symbol of his status, of each member of the nation's status as a member of the Mamlachet Kohanim, the nation of priests, Vigai Kadosh, 
and holy nation. And this is what Korach saw. And this is what Korach perceived, or this is what Korach misinterpreted, or this is what Korach deliberately misinterpreted. And he stood in front of Moshe and spoke in, uh, putatively in the name of all the people who had just been given the mitzvah of tzitzit, the bold symbol of Mamlachet Kohanim Vagai Kadosh. And Korach stood up and said, Rav Lachem Kulam Kadoshim. Everybody is holy. If everybody is holy, if everybody is a Kohen, then maybe, quite possibly, Korach is right. And if everybody is holy and everybody is a Kohen, then maybe anybody can bring Kitarat. Um, and maybe that's the point of Korach here. Um, Korach uh, represents a kind of claim of the unique high, great status of every member of Klai Yisrael, that Korach deliberately, or perhaps even accidentally, misinterprets the mitzvah of tzitzit, the consolation given um, to the uh, people after the Chetam Raglim. Now, let us put this all together here and talk one last time about motivation and balance that with the other theme of despair that I talked about earlier. What psychology or what mental state does the entire Chet of the Meraglim Originating, or what misperception, or what problem of perception uh, does uh, the chait of the Muraglim originate in? Well, the Muraglim themselves tell us when they are motzi dibat aretz, uh, when they bring out the lashon hara about the land, they finish up their final speech, that which causes the people to break out crying in Perik Yud Gimel, pasuk Lamed Gimel, with the following sentence: V'shamer inu etanafilim bnei anakim in hanafilim. We saw the giants. Vanihi be'ineinu kachagavim, and we were in our own eyes like grasshoppers in regards to them. V'chein ha'inu be'inehem. So too we were in their eyes. Now, why did we think we were grasshoppers? So Rashi tells us this kind of elaborate story that. Um, we heard them talking to each other. Look what's amongst the karam. Look what's amongst the field. You see those little grasshoppers in the shape of men. So we heard them talking about us, uh, these giants talking about us as grasshoppers. Um, and therefore, um, we perceived ourselves as grasshoppers. But is that really where the perception comes from? Um, is it really the case that the giants were that tall? Were they really that big? Or maybe it's just that the Muraglim, uh, the spies, the people, they perceived themselves as no more than grasshoppers. And if they perceived themselves from the very start, uh, our own eyes as grasshoppers, as just nothing more than insects, then these giants were giants. And no matter how much or who much anybody helped them, there's no way they could conquer the land. And the whole misperception of the Miraglam begins in this flawed sense of self-perception, the, the lack of belief in themselves, the slaves, the, ge- the generation of slaves, who could not imagine that they were anything more than grasshoppers. And that's where the misperception begins, and that's the, the problem of Latour and what they didn't see right. And the tikkun of tzitzit is to see that each and every member of Klai Yisrael is a member of Mamlachat Kohanim V'gai Kadosh, the holy nation of priests, that each one has value. The tikkun of Uriitem Taturu, implicit in Parshat Tzitzit, is about changing or beginning to change that self-perception, to give that sense of spiritual grandeur that each member of Klai Yisrael should have vis-a-vis themselves, because it's that lack or that loss or that, that piece which was missing which led to the Chetam Raglim. So, to put this all together... Um, 
This is what Karach does. Karach talks about that tikkun. He says, Kol There is a kind of arrogance or grandeur that, talks, that, that, that Karach talks about. And it's that arrogance or grandeur which is misplaced, which is wrong, which is too extreme, which of course drives the maktire ktoret on to bring the ktoret and to die like Nadav But it's the flip side of the absolute despair and horror. On the one hand, there's despair and horror, and something must be done. And on the other hand, the dialectical side, there's this sense of grandeur, the sense of we are something, we need to be something, etc. And it's these things together that lead to the rebellion of Korach, um, that lead to the horrible fate of the 250 Maktirik Torah. Just to point out, um, although the sin of Korach and his rebellion is a great sin uh, and a great hate, but on some level, it's also a tikkun. It's the beginnings of a change in uh, the self-perception of Am Yisrael and um, the change or the switch uh, between generation to generation, which takes up and moves along here in Sefer Bamidbar, starting from this point and on. Okay.